Turn again, O Lord of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. Those are verses 14 to 19 of Psalm 80, which is the psalm appointed for today, Monday, March the 21st, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our look at the book of Jeremiah. Today we're in the seventh chapter, the first 15 verses. The gospel for today is John 7, verses 14 to 36. And then the epistle is Paul's letter to the Roman church, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. So we're continuing with the word of God to Jeremiah to give to the people, convicting them of sin. He's laying out his case against the people so that they don't have any way of, of being able to say, well, we were unaware. We weren't told these things. We didn't know what we needed to repent of. And so he begins with this, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house. And proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I'll let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Now, this sounds very similar to to Jesus's, um, what, what ends up becoming the flashpoint for um, them to arrest him, and that is to say that he spoke against the temple, that he said, tear it down, in three days I'll rebuild it. And and as John tells us, they didn't know at the time, but they realized later that he was not talking about the physical temple, he was talking about um, his body. But then also we see other places where where they will say to him, look at the stones of the temple, how beautiful they are, and all this. And, And Jesus will say, don't trust in the temple. That's not a permanent edifice, and, and, and we know that it comes down in about AD 70, so about 35, 37 years, somewhere through there after the death of Jesus. He says, for if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. So he's telling them exactly what they need to do to stay, in, to, to have the temple be there, and to have the land. That's all they need to do, is do those things that he just laid out. He said, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you've not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. And you can see the picture that he's painting here, and and think of it this way. Think of it as a wife who sees a husband come in the door knowing that he's just been with another woman, and he's just deceived other people, and he's just done all these horrible things, And now he's come home to his wife as though everything is wonderful and hunky-dory and she ought to just accept him 
as he is, knowing that he's also then going to turn back around and go out and do those same things again. In other words, they have not truly amended their ways and their deeds. They've recognized this got me into trouble, but they've not decided this is a wrong thing that I won't be doing anymore. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? And where have you heard that phrase before as well as Jesus comes in and says, my, you've turned my house into a den of thieves because of the commerce that was going on with the money changers and the sellers of sacrificial animals. He says, behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, which is where they, the, when they split came in the kingdom after the death of Solomon, they, they reset up a place in Shiloh for worship, the, the, the northern kingdom did, which is everybody except Judah and Benjamin. So they go and they set up this alternative worship place to keep those people from believing that Jerusalem was the place where God actually dwelt. And they made golden calves to go along with it. He says, go now to my place that was in Shiloh, that was in Shiloh, which would imply is no more. Uh, where, where I made my name dwell at first, it was the first place of worship when they came into the land as well. And see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now, because you've done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you didn't listen. And when I called to you, you didn't answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that's called by my name and in which you trust, the temple, and to the place that I gave you and your fathers as I did to Shiloh. I'm going to do the same thing here that I did there. And I'll cast you out of my sight as I cast out all your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. What he's saying is I'm going to do the same thing to you that I did to the northern kingdom. You're going to be driven out of the land. You're going to lose the temple. You're going to lose the land. Everything because of these sins, because of this this adulterous um, spiritual life you have where you're paying homage to Baal and other gods. No, you can't have it that way. I'm not going to allow mixed religion. And it's too often what we have in America today, actually, is this mixed religion. And you get the mixture is, is karma, this belief in karma um, and, all, and civil kind of religion mixed in with the worship of, of Yahweh. Jesus, remember, had said that he was not going to go up to the feast because it wasn't yet his time, and so he told his brothers he wasn't going to go. And then he went up later, and then privately and quietly. But then what we're told here in the beginning of this gospel reading is about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. So he, he observed around the edges and then decided, no, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to go teach. And so he went into the temple and he began to teach. And the Jews therefore marveled saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? In other words, what they heard him say, how they, the teaching that he was giving was astounding to them and it was compelling to them. And then their question became, well, how did he get all this? Cause he's never studied with the rabbis and we would have known had he studied with the rabbis. So Jesus answered them, my teaching's not mine, but his who sent me. In other places, we, we hear him say that, that, that he taught with an authority that was different from the scribes and the Pharisees, and he did because he was the giver of the law. The law was given through him, and so he had more authority than those teachers did. It was outside of them, and with Jesus, he is the word. 
So he says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. In other words, those who have set themselves to do God's will, those who, who believe that, that this is the right way, when they hear me teach, they'll know whether this teaching comes from God or whether it comes, I'm speaking on my own authority. In other words, the, the, the teaching that I give will resonate with them in a different way simply because they have committed themselves to God's Word, not just to knowing God's Word, but to doing God's Word. And so they will know intuitively because they are connected to the Father through their desire to be obedient, they'll know in, 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 that, in themselves that that's, my teaching comes directly from God. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there's no falsehood. Has not Moses given the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? That feels completely out of the blue, and it does to them. The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? What are you talking about? You just went off the rails with what you just said. Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers, because it goes all the way back to Abraham. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. So what he's gonna, what he's speaking about here is, is that he's being criticized for having done uh, healing on the Sabbath. And what he's saying is, is that with circumcision, because you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, with circumcision, there's an exception to that. If it's on the eighth day, then it doesn't matter whether that day is the Sabbath or not. You go ahead and you do the circumcision. Um, so he's saying, Moses gave you that, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Don't judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. So what, you're, what he's saying is, is that, that you're judging based on, on sort of this outward expression of work, but what you're missing is the greater thing that's happening here, and that is that a man has been made whole on this day. So you're only concerned about the one thing, but, but circumcision it is something that's allowed, and so is other kinds of work in order to save lives and all that kind of stuff. But he said, so judge what I'm doing correctly. Judge and understand the law itself, because it was made for man, but but a man can worship better and keep the Sabbath better if he's whole. Some of the people of Jerusalem, therefore, said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? So it's not just the crowd, because the crowd would have included all those people who were pilgrims in coming to Jerusalem. So this is a different group. The, the crowd said, Who's trying to kill you? The people of Jerusalem therefore said, isn't this the man whom they seek to kill? They knew something that the people in the outlying areas and the pilgrims who had come in didn't know. They knew that actually there was a desire from among the leadership to kill Jesus. And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? In other words, they're not molesting him in any way. They're allowing him to teach here in the temple, even though we know that they've wanted to kill him. And so what, what they're saying is, have they come to the realization that he's the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. And, and they always mistakenly believe they know where he comes from. How they miss this about Bethlehem, I have no earthly idea. 
So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. But I have not come from my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you don't know. I have, I know him for I come from him and he sent me. Notice what he's saying is, you think you know where I come from? You don't. You do not know where I come from. You think I'm from Nazareth. You think all these things. But no, I came from above. I was sent here by the Father. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour hadn't come yet. In other words, God wasn't allowing them to do what they wanted to do. Yet many of the people believed in him, and they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? I mean, how much more could he do? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I'll be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, where's this man intend to go that we won't find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? In other words, those who have, who have left Jerusalem, whether, whether they've left Jerusalem or whether they were part of the northern kingdom, the exile diaspora. Um, is he going to go and teach those people? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and come and won't find me and where I'm going, you can't come? They're absolutely confused by this. And it's, and it's proof then that they don't know where he came from to start with, even though they thought that he did. They thought he was just going to, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to shake the dust off my feet and I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go to the people who will receive the teaching, which is ultimately part of what Paul does. It's his mission to do that. Jesus says his mission was to the lost sheep of Israel. So he's not going to leave the land because his mission is to the land in the same way that Jeremiah's mission was to the people of God. And so Jesus is is one of the prophets, certainly. He is speaking prophetically in all that he says, but at the same time, he is more than a prophet. He is more than a priest, and he is more than a king. He is all three of those, but he's more than that as well. In the Romans passage, Paul's continuing his argument about um, the, the, this, to convict everyone of sin. <clears throat> in the fourth chapter, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham our father according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So, in other words, if Abraham worked for salvation, if it were based on his works, then it wouldn't be a gift. It wouldn't be grace. It would just be, okay, you did everything right, everything I told you to, so the reward is this, for having done what you did. But no, it's a gift. And the nature of the gift is that it was given simply based on faith, which is not a work. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those who lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Well, that blessedness is a consequence of being forgiven for sin, not for being patted on the head for a good work. It's the, exactly the opposite of that. And so that's, that's what he's saying is, is that, that the, wor- the work is to believe. And that belief that Christ atoned for our sins on the cross is what justifies us. Nothing we've done justifies us. What he has done 
justifies us. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It wasn't after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So circumcision didn't add anything to faith. All it did was seal it and certify it. It was the sign that Abraham would have that he's in covenant with Yahweh because of his faith. And that's the important point is, is that, that we are, we are, it doesn't mean we're not intended for good works. Paul will say in other places that, yes, these were prepared in advance for you to walk in. They're, we are intended for good works, but those good works are an outworking of our faith and our salvation. It's a joyful response to the grace we have received, that we then become dispensers of that grace through good works. He said the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And so it all comes down to faith. And that faith, though, comes down next to obedience because Abraham had to get up and go to trust God. He had to trust God to believe that what he was going to do was exactly what he said he would do. I'm taking the land that I prom that I'm going to give you and I'm going to make you the father of many nations. But he had to walk out that obedience and that faith. He had to leave his home and he had to go where God sent him. And he had to do from then on the things that God told him to do including circumcision. But he had to he did all that in obedience to the faith that he already had. And that's what a faith is supposed to do. It's supposed to wake us up and move us in the direction of obedience to God's will. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, is to lead us into all truth. But, but we're being led there, not just intellectually, but also in our physical bodies. As we become obedient to him and we begin to walk in the ways that he has given us to walk in.